All right. Um, what's going on? Now uh, we're back for another another interview. I think this is now the eleventh or the twelfth. I think 12th. this is twelfth. I think it's twelfth. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. Last interview we did was Eve. Today we have another uh, very special guest. You know, someone that's and uh, definitely a multi hyphenate, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Someone who I feel like has a lot of. <laughs> I mean, a lot of different titles that, that we can we can definitely get into um, once once this interview begins. But if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, Modi, um, kind of just let everyone know like who you are and a little bit about what you do. For sure, man. Thank you guys for having me. First and foremost, shout out to No Plastic. Um, <clears throat> my name is Modi. I'm from Washington D.C the dc area um and i don't really know what you call me but i like to say like community organizer um just because i think a lot of the things that i do have to do with bringing people together and i think that's like one of my strong suits i mean you know i started you know i think a lot of people know me for music and just culture and some people know me for parties started a music festival in dc with my with my friends um i've worked at record labels i've worked at you know editorial publications i've done a whole bunch of stuff in like the music lifestyle entertainment culture space and that's kind of like the world that I, I really like to to play in but um yeah i don't know what you call me i just know that's what i like to do I like to do hey everyone listen to this please Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a good intro, just a good, good way to start. Um, <laughs> before we uh, before we get into like some of the the real questions, you know, obviously everyone's quarantined. We would have liked to do this interview in person, but that's that's not possible right now with everything that's going on. Um, what have you been up to since all this quarantine stuff has been kind of going on? Man, great question. Uh, a lot of my time has been spent trying to get fit. Um, I actually quit my job on, well, I put my time in, my last day at work was the 31st, but because COVID hit on, you know, the 11th or 12th, I didn't go into the office from, I think, Friday the 13th, which is wild that that was the day that that the office closed. Um, And honestly, I've been chilling since then. I stopped getting paid on the 30th, 31st or 30th, whatever the last day of the month was. And once I was home, I was like, you know, I quit my job to really focus on me. And now, like, I have no choice but to focus on me because I'm home. So I started running a lot. I've been cooking a whole bunch. You know, I I never really cooked, not since I lived in in Portland. Um, Watching a lot of TV and, and, and movies, reading a little bit, and just trying to, like, sitting back and working on, like, me figuring out what I want to do next, what things I want to start doing, what things I want to stop doing. Um, and just connecting with people, family, friends, like I I always try and find the silver lining. And I feel like while we can't go outside or we're not supposed to be like roaming around and congregating, I still think there's a lot to to get done. And that doesn't mean like you have to be 
super proactive or like productive, it means like sometimes you're going to sleep in, rest, like, you know, shit like that. So I've been just doing really whatever I feel like it. And at the same time, because, you know, I quit my job and then quarantine hits. And now it's like, now I need a job. So I've been looking for jobs too. Um, And yeah, it's been a nice, like, I guess, what are we, week six? It's been a nice, like, almost two months of just being my own boss. But it's also a little anxious. um, Because, you know, who knows when the fuck this is going to stop? Who knows, you know, what kind of gig I get, if I can even get a gig, like, just, you know, all that. But ultimately, it's been great. That's what I've been on. Okay. Yeah, I think um, that that is a pretty crazy, like, timeline, you know, to 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 want to leave your current job to be able to focus on yourself. And then right when you do that, you can't leave your house, you know? Like, so what What better time to, to really have the time to rethink, like, what you've been doing and what you want to do with yourself? Um, but yeah, that's that's good. I think uh, I think everyone's kind of been on the same stuff. I know, like me personally, I've been watching a lot of stuff, but I've also been trying to like dive a little bit deeper into some music that I may have missed. Um, follow up on mm. some, some projects. Uh, what have you been listening to? Great question, um, man. I listen to a lot of just like Spotify playlists that are served up to me. Um, but like I was telling. Chris, a little early. I've been just watching hella Soul Train um, <laughs> recently because it's just bonkers. Like, I don't know. Started in 71 and it's 2020, so it's literally 50 years old and this shit is fire. Um, just old music, old interviews, like before social where people in the crowd were, if they were lucky enough to get picked on to talk to their favorite artists, whether it be Marvin Gaye or the Isley Brothers or Gladys Knight and just ha- seeing that connection in real time like real fandom before it became like weird before you can buy like merch and do crazy shit. Like that shit has been blowing my mind. So a lot of like old stuff, but also like, you know, I just came back from Nigeria in December. So a lot of Nigerian artists, Santis on rotation pretty often. Um, and really just kind of whatever, man, like so much music. It's so hard to even ever give you, give anybody like an answer. Cause it's just like, so much yeah. shuffle, less albums, more like singles and Lucy's. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, no, agree. Definitely agree. Um, so kind of getting into some of like the other questions that we had, how did, how did you, you, you spoke a little bit about how you're known for um, kind of being a bit of a socialite, like a community organizer, as you said. Um, and that's someone that, that has done a lot in the music space. How did you get into music? What, what really like drew you into that field? Well, I grew up in a Nigerian household. Shout out to Nigerians. I know we have one in the building. Um, (laughs) We, you know, my parents also traveled a lot for work and just, you know, very international vibes. And also my dad was just into music. Um, You know, he had a lot of like vinyl um, and tapes and CDs. I remember listening to a lot of like Michael Franks and Stevie Wonder. Paul Simon, Wynton Marsalis, um, Michael Jackson, Deep Purple, The Beatles, like all types of shit. Yeah. So I grew up, like, you know, since a kid, I remember like one of the earliest memories I have is me being in the living room and the music being so loud that I that a glass that was on the table had broke. 
And I was just like, whoa, music is so powerful, powerful. Put that on my chest, my car's the way that I flex And people say I'm broke up, they say I'm just too fly I make them wanna get high, they want a piece of the sky But I'm just too damn good for them, no way to flip my shit It feels like a good hit, and even if you bite You're ugly, you can't get smoke a little bit safe Look at what you got to say, but the bye 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 So, you know, that's that was my first introduction to music. And I think I started figuring out that I had a passion for curating when I was, and also entrepreneurship. When I was uh, in middle school, my homie Jordan Nichols, he was the first kid to get a CD burner. And he was burning CDs for people, but he wasn't selling them. So I was like, oh, I'm going I'm to start flipping. Like, I'm going to start getting the shit out in the street. So, you know, a CD would come out and I'd give you a burn copy for five. If you wanted a mix, I was on Napster downloading, fucking up the 56K overnight, downloading like 20 songs at a time. And I would make you a, a mix CD for seven. And if you had, you know, back in the day, CDs were 74 minutes long, unless you had an 80 minute long CD, which eventually I, I got. But if you left me any time on your, you know, custom mix, I would add music that I thought that I think you should listen to. Because this was back before you know, Spotify or blogs, mm. you know, curation wasn't really a thing. It was really just like, all right, the radio or good luck, like go dig. Yeah. And I think there was no middleman to say, okay, I, this is my, this is the ear that I have. And th these are the things that catch my ear and let me be the middleman for some folks so I can get you guys music that I dig. 
So, you know, like I said, I was listening to a lot of music and I was also very curious. I download, like, I, I remember listening to uh, Missy Elliott's Get Your Freak On and hearing the remix with Nelly Furtado. And at that time, there was no Nelly, Nelly Furtado was not on. That was my first touch point. And I was like, who the fuck just freaked this? This is nuts. <laughs> I need to go download everything she's ever made. So I just went on Napster and t- typed her name, downloaded everything, saw that Timbaland had made a lot of music with her. I, Missy was like a hero to me uh, because of Timbo, or both of them together working together was like blowing my mind, just advanced music. And, you know, Pharrell, same vibe. So when I saw, so I was that kind of guy that would just like dig deep and find shit and just be, get lost in it and download a whole bunch of random shit, you know? And that I raised tens of thousands that I had downloaded. I remember, I just remember all these moments of downloading music, like coming across things like Cannibal Ox and um, fucking, like, you know, that, like uh, Mad Lib, Quasimodo, like all types of shit that, you know, that wasn't around. I went to school. I went to a private school in D.C. So there was not a lot of people of color, not a lot of people that were deep in the music. And this was really a thing that I just, I guess I stumbled upon. I got excited about. And, you know, it became like what it became my identity because I branded myself as the music guy. So that, that was like how it started in, in middle school for real. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you like really built a genuine friendship solely based on music? That's such a good question. I was trying to trying to think about that just now. Let's think if I can remember. Um, just on music. I mean, honestly, there was a few, so this is going to be this is going to be a very private school thing to say. But mini disc players were a thing that never really popped, mm-hmm. but for some reason I was infatuated with it and my best friend was Andy Suzuki, he was half Japanese and he was very into like tech. I mean, like, you know, he was just tapped into technology. <laughs> so he was trying to get like, I wanted an Iowa, just dope ass Iowa mini disc player. My girl Kate got the fat sharp one. Andy had some crazy one from Japan. And like, we all would in, I think in seventh, eighth grade, we would all kind of huddle underneath um in our homeroom we'd huddle underneath this table and listen to music and andy was my best friend since or like you know pre-kindergarten so we we had a friendship based on everything like same same sense of humor comedy uh you know music basketball all that type of shit but i feel like when kate came to school that was one of my first friendships where we connected on music and now she's actually in l.a we're in a group chat with a lot of DC people. We're still very good friends, but I feel like it was probably something like that. I'm not sure when somebody, I, you know, I think the internet is what kind of connected me with a whole bunch of other like-minded individuals. And that's where shit really got weird in a good way, because, <laughs> you know, you could meet, you could talk to someone from another country and music can be the, the, the medium in which you communicate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I got on, like, you know, I mean, this could this could have gone. This could this could go back to like AIM or a, you know AOL chat rooms. But I remember MySpace connecting with Drake on MySpace when I was like making beats. He just finished the grassy, or not? He didn't finish the grassy, but he just started like exploring music. And I had just seen 
a commercial for him talking about his music on Noggin, which was like yeah. some damn Noggin. <laughs> oh my Crazy. god, right. yo, that's channel two ninety eight on uh, on Directv. <laughs> you had that back in the day. Damn, I, that's wow. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, they had like a short little segment of him making music. And then all of a sudden, so I used to make beats in high school and a little in college. And my homie Bushra, he went by DJ Ra. And he was a mad, he, he somehow, I don't know what happened, but he had this dope ass studio on Georgia Avenue that he literally had access to at all hours. And I met him. I think I was, there's a few guys, me, Austin Purnell, Cam, few other folks, like black kids from the independent school circuit who kind of, or, or like public school actually, because Bushra went to Wilson, which was right next to Sidwell, but it was a public school. And he was like a G, he was like a, a prodigy, but his issue was like substances. Like he was always drunk or high and he needed somebody to help him like, organized and I was nice on the computer so <clears throat> what happened was I basically was like yo if you teach me how to beats I'll handle all your admin stuff no problem so he was and he was heavily inspired by Neptune and Neptunes are like my holy grail like you know I know this is audio but just for you guys that are here if I can flip this can I flip this camera sorry you may have to do some ed post editing I'm sorry no no you good but <laughs> Damn, how do I get rid of this whack-ass background? <laughs> nah, okay, look. So, <clears throat> I'm just a nerd guy. Like, brain there. Got another brain here. I got a fucking, you know, you gotta have your, you gotta have your shit. I'm, I'm, I love those guys. And, and I was legitimately, like, that was me, you know? Like, my man Bushford basically was, like, Nept baby Neptunes. So, Think about me as a kid being like, oh, my God, I met a dude that has access to a studio and he just needs help to connect the dots because he's not good at, like, writing an email or, like, you know, even sending files back and forth. So I got that, that position and he was teaching me how to, like, use the Triton and the MPC. And it was just one of those experiences where, like, it was so great. And I don't know if he remembers it because he, like, like, he's a sober guy now, but at that point, he, it was, you know, he was all about that life. And I was not at all. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. So I was very clear-headed, and it was very easy for me to do that shit. He was getting e messages from on MySpace from Drake, and he didn't understand that Drake was his dude. And this was 2004, <clears throat> five, so early, like early. So what was happening was he was teaching me how to make beats, and we'd send these beats to Drake, and then Drake would call me after we talk on MSN because he's from Canada and they didn't use AI, they used MSN. So I used to have to download MSN. His career name was like Obs something. And <laughs> I was talking to him all the time on, on MSN, um, sending him beats. And then when he really wanted to connect, he'd call me. So I was talking to Drake. I was giving Drake music that Bushra was producing. Literally, Bushra had produced two tracks on the first mixtape. One song was called Special, and there was a special remix that was also Bushra's. So um, that was, that's how music got started getting weird. It's like, <laughs> I was talking to people that like, you know, like I feel like everyone that's lit now, I've had some type of interaction with them. Like Cole, my roommate, 
in New York was his manager, you know? And I remember like literally I would be driving down in DC and I'd see Cole. I'd be driving my ex-girlfriend's mom's SUV and I'd see J. Cole and I'd scoop him and we'd drive around DC together. Like, you know, Wale used to shout my blog out and my radio show out on MySpace. Lupe Fiasco, I talked to him on MySpace and then ended up meeting him when I was at Def Jam. Like, everybody, man, Wiz Khalifa, like, you know, all that 2008-9 blog rap world, like, somehow I crossed paths with them. I felt like the Black Force Gump. And it was just was like one of those things where you can't, you know, like, you can't even, and I didn't know any of this was going to be anything. I didn't have a career. I wasn't like, yo, I want to be, I mean, I definitely had aspirations to be in music, but I didn't know in what sense. All I knew was that I want, I, I liked music a lot and I wanted to do something special to leave a mark. And I, and I wanted to show people that, you know, DC had something going on. So my whole thing was like trying to put my city on in some way, shape or form. Um, damn, <laughs> that's, that was, that was a lot like, a um, yeah, I think, I think it's crazy to, to think if, I mean, it makes sense what you said though, you know, like, like knowing someone with those assets and someone who is talented in that regard, like making beats and then also kind of just being at the forefront of like the blog era, like that kind of makes sense, you know, where a lot of these artists were really starting to figure out like, okay, I need to make a MySpace. I need to like do this, do these different things to connect with people that I wouldn't normally be able to connect to. And then just seeing that opportunity for yourself to be like, I can connect these dots and really make things happen for not only him, not only the artist, but also for myself. You know, I think that really speaks to like um, a little bit that I've been able to learn about you like so far, which is that you, you recognize like big moments and then you, you know how to capitalize on those things. Um, so kind of just talking about, how you were starting to get into music, starting to really make money off of things, middle school, and then that kind of transformed into what you're just speaking on, like in high school. Um, how did your, or, okay, I guess before we get there, when did you really know, like, okay, like music is what I'm going to do, like after high school, I guess. Because I think when kids are in high school, it's like, like you kind of said, like, you know, this is what I'm doing now, but I don't know how this is really going to turn into something where I can call myself a professional blank. Um, or really make like substantial money where I don't really need to do anything else. Do you remember kind of a moment where it was like, okay, like I think after high school is done, um, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't think there was one specific moment, but I think it was just knowing that, you know, like honestly, my dad is an economist and he was like, yo, you got to just major in econ. Mm -hmm. um, I went to school in Boston, Boston college. And when I got there, after the first semester of econ, I was like, there's no chance. I'm not doing this. Like, I don't think this is for me. I need to find something that I'm passionate about and or that's just like simpler. Because I looked at college like a networking opportunity. And in retrospect, I think, you know, if I had known, like, you know, you never want to listen to your parents when you're a kid because like, why? It's like, <laughs> it's part of just being a, a teenager and a, and a young adult is just rebellion, right? If I had known all the things I know now, then I probably would have looked at school and been more, I would have been wiser about the things that I chose to take, to take, to take. I gotta breathe. Shit on my teeth. She don't like me. She poppin' Marie. 
school in general like when you're in high school you don't know what the fuck you're about to do it's so intense if you think about it like telling a kid like yo all right listen you have to know what you want to do for the rest of your life right now (laughs) make a decision now you feel me especially being a first generation my parents value education so much it's the reason that they were able to kind of cut through the clutter and and come from you know my dad's from a village called the bail Hotel. my mom grew up between uh, Lagos and London. Um, but like, you know, my 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 uh, dad's parents were teachers. They actually taught Fela when he was in school. And yeah, um, yeah it's, it's wild. It's just one of those things like, how the fuck? Like how, it all just kind of makes sense though. Even like, and sorry to go on tangent, but like I went back to my parents' house recently in DC and I looked around and all the art on the wall it's all jazz music based art. Everything on every art that we have in the house is music related. I didn't realize it as a kid yeah. at all. So it's like a lot of this shit is subconscious, which kind of goes back to the point where I'm saying, like, I don't know when I knew music was gonna be what I wanted to do, but I feel like it's been around me and there's just so many touch points subconsciously, it was just in me. So when I went to school, it was really um my partner Quinn Coleman who, you know, you guys may know as Spicoli. He's two years younger than me, but went to the same high school, middle school, whatever. He came to visit BC, loved it, eventually came, you know, applied, got in. And when he came to BC, one of the first things he told me was like, yo, I want to start a radio uh, state, uh, radio show. And, you know, his whole thing was he wanted, he had been interning at like the local stations in DC. And then I also think he did like Viacom stuff um, in college. But he wanted to kind of be a personality, I believe. Um, he also started DJing in college, so I remember him lugging around his his fucking turntables and and all that all that equipment. And I, you know, being his friend, I was part of that team, so I remember those long ass nights where you had to wait till the party was done till he had to break everything down. But him being my my ace, you know, and him saying he wanted to start a show, and then he was like, "And I want you to co-host with me." I didn't want to do that because my aspirations were never to to be that I always wanted to be behind the scenes. If I were to get in the music game, I wanted to make sure um, 
you know, like I, I wasn't trying to be the star because I didn't think I had any star power. Um, and it just was never a thing that crossed my mind. You know, I was the kind of guy that wanted to get into management or, you know, producing, like all that shit was more background. Yeah. So for me, it was never, it never crossed my mind. But once I talked to Quinn and learned what he was really trying to do, and also him just nagging me and convincing me, I did it once. We did a show and it was lit. And the thing about us in college is, you know, my friends, my year, we just became, we were kind of like the, the good kids that, you know, we were just popular, but not in like a, like a weird, like conceited way. It's just like, we were, people would fuck with us because we were like good people, friendly people. And I went, I went to Quaker school. So a lot of the way I look at life is different than I think a lot of people, like I care about, I care about people and I want people to feel like they're welcome. And I also want to find common ground. So it's not hard for me to talk to someone and figure out like, you know, just the curious, I'm curious. I'm, my dad's the kind of guy that would, that would play music in the house and be like, who is that? What instrument is that? Like he tests me to the point where I start to get sharp about shit. And even like, you know, we listen to NPR on, on the drive to work and he'd ask me questions about a lot of stuff. So I, I'd be around so many different types of people, so many culture, a lot of different types of people would come to the house from all different countries. So it was not hard for me to find common ground. If I met someone that said he's from Mauritius, I'd be like, oh, my dad's colleague's from Mauritius, and we'd have a conversation. And then you create that bond with somebody so it's easy to connect with them. So for me, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I, I don't know. I just really, when it came to, you know, connecting with people, it wasn't hard. And when it came to, you know, kind of marketing the, the radio show that we created, it wasn't difficult because we already were kind of like well-respected on campus. And then Facebook came out with a Facebook status update. That was where you could start to put links oh, yeah. and drive people to certain places. So once that came out, I was taking a lot of new media classes and marketing and advertising classes. So my, my project became, how do I market this radio show? And I just was figuring out different uh, platforms to leverage. Facebook was the most popular. Like I don't I was in college in 05. So when Facebook and Facebook started to pop and become public that year, dog, when I say I was friend requesting anybody and everyone, anybody can get it. So I had all these friends that I had never met on Facebook, even at BC. All these kids that I see on campus and never talked to, but before we, once we got our college email and could sign up for Facebook, we were friending and adding and going into groups. I was making Facebook groups. I was doing all types of wild shit. So I was leveraging all that shit to push people to our stream to listen to our radio show. And then after the radio show got, you know, back then bandwidth was a thing. Like you can only have so many people listen to something, right? So then I was like, let's just record the show and put it up on the website so the people that couldn't get in can listen. But also I was taking a lot of creative writing classes and also English in, in high school was my, the only class I think I did okay in, you know, for real, for real. Um, or excelled in and so this was an opportunity for me to use this blog that we created to host this recording of the show it allowed me to write and talk about music beyond the two hour two hours we had on radio it was like okay cool in this two hours we're going to play this stuff and talk about this stuff and a lot of the show was based around like dc because me and quinn are both from dc we called it the blog DC to BC because we went to Boston College. I'm big into alliteration and catchy shit. 
And that was just part of my whole, like, I think that's what I brought to the table was like the branding and marketing to the yeah. show and, and just thinking through like how to scale it. So, you know, in college, we went from the radio show to the, to the radio show and the blog and the blog is what blew up because we were just on the cusp. This was 08 of like music blogs. And this is when I write to dope boys, you know, those blogs were things, her affection, all these people I'm, I've met everyone probably except SK, but everyone from the blog world, because Twitter also popped around then. So all the bloggers would get on Twitter and that was our way of communicating. You know, that's how I built up followers on, on social was through the blog. And I was kind of spearheading the blog while Quinn was spearheading the radio show. Yeah. So that was kind of like, you know, the first time I was like, okay, music can be a thing. This is when I, I remember being like, fuck going to class. I need to blog this new pack div that just dropped, you know, like, I was on that wave. That's where my head was at with it. And that's when I think I realized that there was some type of future in it, but I didn't understand, you know, I didn't know where I wanted to be with it. And I, I should have also mentioned, I had interned at record labels at Def Jam two summers before Quinn came to BC. And I didn't, it was cool, but I didn't think that that's what I wanted to do. So in my head, I was like, all right, it's not a label, but I like music. So let me figure out what it is. And that's kind of like, I don't know. It just was, that was kind of the first time I was like, Oh shit, this is a thing. And then the blog happened. And I was like, this is a whole thing. We were getting advertising money. We were getting people from France reposting our stuff in French. I didn't know what it said, but it, it looked like support. And that's when it was just like, yo, this shit is getting weird. Like, you know, in a good way. Yeah. Yo, like at, at this point, like, um, did your parents know that you were, you were kind of dabbling like, like in the music game or they still thought, that you were like majoring in econ? No, I told my parents when I changed my uh, major and I went to comm and I took a lot of English classes, not enough to, to make it a major, but I took a lot of classes. Yeah. Um, Cause that was more my speed. Like I'm not really a math science guy mm-hmm. and econ to me, my, my mind just couldn't wrap around. I just couldn't wrap around. It was just like too crazy. I really wish I t- took more econ classes cause right now in this pandemic, It'd be really un- interesting to understand, like, the cause and effect of everything that's going on. But in college, I was like, fuck econ. So, you know, my parents knew where my head was at. And, you know, I feel like Nigerian parents, it's also just kind of like, you know, they're not familiar with that industry. They're familiar with working hard, getting a job, a certain type of job in a certain type of field and living your life. You know, as a Gen, what am I, millennial, our lives are different because, you know, my, my dad just retired 31 years at the same company, World Bank. Damn. I have had two jobs. I've had five jobs in 10 years. You feel me? Like, yeah. and I'm just, I don't, I'm just going to keep on hopping around because like, it's just a different era. There's yeah. new industries, there's new yeah. technologies, there's innovation. There's so many, so many changes from their, their time to ours. And I think really just thinking about it, the more, the older I get, it's like, they just didn't know any better and not in a bad way. It's just kind of like, what would they know? We lived in Washington, DC. There's no music industry infrastructure. They never went to California and saw that. Like they haven't even really visited me here still because they don't have a network here. So there's no like allure or attraction for them to, to understand this space. And it wasn't until I think they saw Trelectro and it's, in its entirety, that they understood what we were trying to do 
And now, you know, they're supportive. But again, my, my parents' whole thing was like, look, go to business school and do all this shit on the side. And I mean, I, you know, I can see that, but I also feel like if you give a little bit of yourself to a lot of things then you're just going to be okay. If you hone in on a few things and say, I'm going to focus on these things and you can be great. Be great. Yeah. I, uh, okay. Under pressure, mama, then go to kid. Nigga like me cannot fucking no bitch. Black tab, black fish, shit. Rented car, scamming car flips. Kicking nigga ass, all shit. Bitches talking shit, nonsense. All up in my conscience Niggas stumble, crumble like a Ritz Blade cut, slash a bitch hips Smoke a nigga like a fucking ass Two twins, Mary Kay ass Two dicks up a bitch's ass My dick, my Glock, girl That's what I mean by that Give you diamonds, give you fucking pearls Two steps and then we fucking twirl Swindle my fingers through your curls Baby girl, you my fucking world You can leave cause you coming back I don't need you, bitch, get back Put the money in the double bag Fly, 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 fly. If you do decide to leave, you will not be allowed access back on board, and parachutes are not included. <laughs> Put a genie on my fucking plate. Get a money like Bill Gates. Bro, call the first soft man. Mix the link with the soft drink. Gold chains, keep a hard link. Nigga, what you talking? What you think? Big bag, take little bang. Dripping like the polar water spring. Diamonds, ice cold, pink and rain. Niggas, bitches, use Maybelline. Okay, under pressure, mama, then go to kid. Nigga like me cannot fucking no bitch. Black tab, black fish, shit. Rented cars, scamming car flips. Kicking nigga ass, all shit. Bitches talking shit. And I feel like if they, you know, if I, if I didn't listen to them in certain times, I may be in a different place, better or worse, who knows? Or if I listen to them, who knows? But I think I'm happy with where I am. I think I learned a lot. And um, there's there's a lot more I want to accomplish, but I think, like I said, it was one of those things where you know, I I the older I got, the more I understood their point of view and their yeah. perspective. But <laughs> I think the more they got to know what I was up to, and you know, the more they saw how passionate I was about what I believe in, the more they were like, oh, okay, this is a real thing. And now, like you know, being a director of marketing at at a major label, like you know. They can't say, you know, like I, I, I got a job, I, you know, I, I, I was working at Nike, I was working at Red Bull. All these are companies that they understand and they're aware of. So it's kind of like doing the things that I like to do. I was able to get a job and, you know, like they wanted. And I don't know. It's just one of those things where I don't know. I think they're happy, but I think ultimately you have to live for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the reason why I had asked that before too is because like I'm not Nigerian, but I'm Jamaican, and I mean, it's it's similar. It's like like my yeah, parents, man, definitely. Yeah, they were just like, oh yeah, you got to go to school, go to college, get your degree, and then basically just get a safe job. And if you want to do anything else, like you got to do that on the side. Like there's no like they just they were just all about the safe route. So, and I, I figured it was probably like, like similar in your household at least. Like I don't know. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, right now. Like, right when I quit my job, I remember, um, you know, seeing the world fall apart around us and mm-hmm. being like, damn, this is why they wanted me to have a job and have insurance. Like, oh, yeah. this is why. Yeah. This is the reason. That's for funny. that weird, for that 1% of the chance, the time that some shit can go weird, that's mm-hmm. why. 
And, you know, for a second, I was like, damn, they're right. But ultimately, I think, you know, a lot of the most creative moments happen when your back's against the wall. Like, honestly, for me, when we started the music festival I started, it's called Trelectro. Um, I had just got laid off from a job and I didn't have any money or anything, but I had a lot of time. And that's when I had, I think, the idea um, to, to kind of like build, you know, build it out and think and, and figure out how to make this happen because I had the time. But if I had a safe job, quote unquote, you know, this may have never happened because I wouldn't have had the balls to do it because why? It's like, once you get a job and you're secure, it's like, why would I go out of my way to fuck that shit up? And I, and really the reason I quit my job was to go back to that, that scary place. Because when you're in a scary place, I feel like you create the, the most interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you, you talk about the start of Trelectro. Um, what, what year was this when you, when you guys, when you and your team got together and were like, yeah, like we, we should definitely do this. Well, 2011, we uh, did a, Ken- a concert with Kendrick Lamar. He was then unsigned. It was Kendrick and Schoolboy. 2011, um, you know, I think their manager, Dave, had read our blog and was like, yo, yeah, we'll do the show. It was a one-off show in D.C. D.C. didn't really do a lot of independent acts at major venues. And we were able to sell this show out, 1,200 cap in about 22 days. And it was Kendrick's biggest show to date. Um, and you know, best show probably at to date as well, especially on the other side of the country where, you know, you don't, he didn't really have an audience, but we had an audience and we told our audience that this is the future. So they listened to us and we were able to sell the tickets to that show. This is right when section 80 came out. So once we had a taste of live music and saw how much money we could potentially make, uh, we were like, this is a thing. So we started doing more and more shows, but it wasn't until we went to Coachella as a group, it was like 25, People, mostly people of color, and we camped and we did the whole festival experience and we came back and we're like, yo, that was nuts. How do we bring that kind of vibe to D.C. but put our own spin on it, you know? Um, and that's how Trelectro was born. From then, we kind of just were like, you know, we, we just did everything we could to figure out exactly what was needed to bring that to life in our city the way we wanted to, and that's how Trelectro started. Yeah, I mean... So you were what, like twenty four when you did Trelectro? Yeah, twenty four. Um, I mean, so being a a twenty four year old kid, like doing a festival, like did you feel was was there any sort of uh kind of internal struggle that you had with yourself? Like, was there any sort of like not even like like pessimistic thoughts, but just like any thoughts of like, yo, I don't think we could do this. No. And I think that's the thing that happened when you're young and dumb. You don't really look at anything but, you know, the thing happening. If if I was 33 and tried to do that right now, I would be like, fuck no, that's too scary. But yeah. back then, you're you don't know anything, so you're just you you're. It's like ignorance is bliss, right? If you you're not weighing all the fucking yeah. possibilities out, you're just acting on on your gut, and ultimately. It's it's dumb, it's foolish, but I think, you know, every once in a while you 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 have a win, and, and we were just lucky to have a win. And a win doesn't mean that you're successful in monetary sense, because we lost $900 our first year, and I was blown away. But then I did research and realized that most festivals don't make money until, you know, their sixth, fifth, sixth year. You know, watching the documentary on Coachella and seeing how they were broke at times, like, 
live music is is a shit show. It's very difficult, and people don't get it, and they don't, you know, and they don't need to get it because that's not what they do. Ultimately, yeah. it's just something that you know. If you're in the game, you understand it. It's definitely a, a very uh, cutthroat industry, as are pretty much all industries. Once you really get to know them, and we didn't really know what we were signing up for, but we did have a belief. We knew what we wanted to do, and we were. You know, we, we came in the game right around when electronic music and hip-hop were merging, which is why we named it Trilectro. The Trill is the, the hip-hop, and the electronic and dance music is the electro. So we combined those two words, and then we started to build a lineup that incorporated, like, just a, a mix of genres that kind of were in that space. But we were all... It was just, it, a lot of it was just, like, good timing, you know? Yeah. Nothing in D.C. Nothing had really happened like that except for Mad Decent. You know, Mad Decent and Fools Go, they were doing that. But we were doing it with, like, local acts. And our whole angle was like, look, let's bring all this local D.C. music and put it on the same platform as some of these stars, right? Because it makes people in the city be proud of where they're from. And it also allows us to start to carve out an identity, which I don't think D.C. really had outside of go-go music you know once go-go music started to like fade away i think once tabby benet and wale started coming out wow that's when you know dc had rappers but before that like i grew up in a city where i'm and i swear to god this is real shit i have friends that didn't listen to hip-hop they listen to go-go because a lot of the go-go songs would sample hip-hop like they listened if they listened to hip-hop it'd be scarface three six mafia Devin the dude and like that was really it you feel me like yeah. people were it what we weren't really a rap city like you have friends that would not have any hip-hop it'd be fucking uh go-go cds and go-go is all recorded live so it'd be like you know a cd that says you know june 03 at the mad chef <laughs> like that's how you would break down the shit it wouldn't be like a real cd so for us, once, you know, the it, it was Wale and, and uh, Tabby, and then there was a whole bunch of internet rappers, which is kind of how we got into, you know, DC to BC blog days, like Lyricist and Ra the MC and uh, fucking just so many artists, bro. Um, not all of them kind of made it. Yeah. Um, but there was a whole scene of DMV I was going to beat battles. I was doing a whole bunch of like, you know, when, when I when I got back to DC after college, I was really immersed in the scene. And that's a, another reason I was able to kind of understand that there was a void that needed to be filled, you know? Um, especially on a larger platform. Like the beat battles were cool, but it was so small, such a small population of people that were hip. We had this big audience. And if you have this audience, you have an opportunity to give them kind of whatever story you want to tell them, as long as it's something that they, that's engaging, they'll, they'll, they'll listen to it. So for me, it was like, all right, let's figure out how to tell this story um, through music and, and, and putting some of these local artists that we've been blogging about on a stage next to the Flostradamuses and, you know, uh, the, the Chance the Rappers, the Kid Cuddies, the Scissors, the Uzis, the Migos, like all these people played our festival before they were lit. We yeah. did Uzi's. I remember running into Uzi at Trilectro. I just heard his first tape that was on SoundCloud. And there was a song Tropics that I had on rotation all the time. And he had only had one face tat at the time. And he was in the crowd at Trilectro. 
2016, he damn near headlined Trilectra. So it's just it's those kind of weird moments, man. Like, and, and again, obviously, like, with you know, we had Travis Scott's first festival ever, 2013. I was just about to bring that shit up. Like, uh, I fucking, that was like the first time that I, that I had uh, heard about Trilectro because I bought a ticket to Fool's Gold. And I think that was like the second time Travis performed in L.A. He did Fool's Gold twice, but it was the first Fool's Gold. And it was like right when, right when Days Before Rodeo came out. So I was looking up footage like, damn, like this shit is so crazy. But let me see what like what a show looks like. And like the yeah. only show, like one of the only um, um, videos of like him performing was at Trilectro. And it was like a little while before that. And I was like, yo, like this is about to be like probably the craziest shit I've ever been to. And it was like him just wilding out at Trilectro. And I was like, what is Trilectro? I'm like, oh, this is in DC. I, I never heard of it. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah like, man. That's dope. It's dope that it, that's the, the thing about the internet, man. Like, it connects people in a crazy way. And just someone uploading that kind of footage from our festival, like, Cissé from Places and Faces. I met him in 2013 because he was this little, little dude that was trying to finesse his way around. And <laughs> once I heard his British accent and heard that he came here to follow ASAP Mob to take photos, I was like, do your thing. Because, like, I already knew, like, yo, if this British dude is in the States covering our festival, yeah, that's crazy. Like, yeah. how the fuck did he even find out about this shit? About this shit? I'm finna stand tall in it. I'm all in it. You be on my back like a guard again. Call her again. I'm in love with your friend. We be doing dirt. You had to everything. It's everything that you're ready to ride. Up in my Jeep and put your pop to the side Go against the gang, you must be ready to hide Swinging on the corner, bang my tail till it pops I thought I was a goner, place to your honor Burn marijuana, the diamond is on her Hotter than the sauna, I made her ass a lot of Baller baby Prada, she popped it for the dollar Don't stick around, you should save yourself But you can't hear my phone if you need some help That you had Place in the Faces is one of the biggest you know, culture brands of all time. But I met Cissé in 2013 before he had any followers. He was just a photographer. You know, I, I didn't know he was, I didn't know he had this vision to create this platform. And like, he went up. And that's what I'm saying. Like, we were, you know, we crossed paths with all these people 
at some time, some place. Like, you know, it's just, to me, it's outrageous. And I really think that there's so much more we, we could do. Um, but for me, I'm just trying to figure out what's next, what makes sense. Yeah. You know? Um, so kind of going back to that, that first year, maybe those first couple of years for, uh, of you guys doing Trelectro, um, are there any moments you can think of where it was like kind of every, cause I think one thing that, that does happen, I know for us specifically, or I mean, for us personally, it's like, we've, we've been able to, we've been able to do like a few different events, a few different parties. Um, and I think a lot of the times what happens when you're kind of working on something yourself is like, you really don't take the time to sit back and enjoy it. You don't sit back and take the time to like realize like what you're doing is like a big deal. Right. Uh, do you remember having any of those moments? Like where you realize like, yo, like this is a festival and there's mad people here. Cause we sold tickets and they came like they were, they were all trying to come. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I think it was one, one, I think it was, second year the fire marshal came and shut the shit down and i got an email angry email from a couple that had drove they drove from minnesota to trelectro and couldn't get in oh damn and that's and that was one of the times where my heart sunk and i remember my partner marcel looking at me like bro that's a good problem to have yeah and that's when i was like oh my god like we actually created something that's like could be like a mainstay because people are hearing about this shit and want to come our lineup's eclectic and non-traditional. Mm. Uh, the audience is like real and raw. Like it's not like, you know, people that, this is music lovers. This is not people coming to look cool. This is people that fuck with the shit. And it's yep. like weird shit. Like we had bands like Body Language that weren't huge, but if you were tapped in to like the New York kind of like indie pop scene and then you'd be tapped in. And it was like a really cool, like community we created. I think the one thing that I realized is that I don't think we ever really relished in our success. Cause the thing is the day before the festival, you think you're about to die. Cause literally you're just, we have a small team, a few interns and a lot of money on the line. And like, you know, anything could happen. You feel me? I remember getting a call 2014. We had Travis Scott coming out as a surprise guest. And that year was weird because we moved to a new venue. It was huge venue. It rained. We had like a weird fight happen, like all this shit was happening. And then I got a call from Travis Scott saying he can't come, which ultimately was him being, uh, he's like big into being like a villain, like MF Doom type shit. So he was trying to fuck our heads up and also like <laughs> tweeted like, I'm not coming to True Like True. And it was a surprise. So I was like, why the fuck would he tweet that? But, you know, he didn't, you know, he's not dealing with this. He's managers dealing with it. But like, all that kind of shit. Like I remember almost having a heart attack because the day, it, it rained that day, like it was all bad. And that was the one moment that I thought was gonna change it. And ultimately, if you ever look up Trelectro, the 2014 footage is what like people know about Trelectro because it was like one of Travis's, like this was, we, we had him the year before, but we had him pop out as a surprise 2014. And he came out with Big Sean when he did Don't Play. And that's how we transferred. We had that song play and that's how we transferred into the headline set. Travis performed and then Sean came on and then it was Sean set from then on. But it was like, that was a moment that we had curated because we knew it was special and yeah. it takes someone that knows the culture to be able to set those kind of plays up. But that's the kind of thing. Like I probably haven't thought about that moment since that moment, because once it's over, you're worried about the next one. Yeah. You're still worried about closing all the books and making sure all the vendors get their shit situated. There's always so much work. 
I'm honest, like, I, I think you do need to take time to, to soak in, soak it all in. And I think that's one thing I regret is not doing that enough. You feel me? Yeah. But uh, it's one of those things that you just, you know, I don't even know. It's like, I'm just blessed to be able to be in the position to, to help like shape culture in general. So a lot of people, you know, they work in insurance, like <laughs> my life, you know, like my life is just, I'm blessed to be in the position I'm in. You feel me? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I think another thing that's worth noting about, about Trelectro and like what you guys have done is if you look at a lot of like the, a lot of the festivals that are happening now, it's like, they're kind of taking that, that formula, um, that like that, that hip hop, that rap and mixing it with like some of the bigger, um, electronic artists that are kind of coming up today. Um, I think there are quite a few festivals that probably look to you guys for, for inspiration. So I definitely want to, um, want to shout out Trelectro for that because that was I know me personally like I think similar to Chris like the first time I heard about Trelectro was was when Travis was performing there the first year and when I heard the name immediately it was like okay well I think I know what this is and then like you look at the lineup and it's like oh, okay this is like a really interesting mix like I wonder how it's gonna do and then like you see the next year and it's even bigger and then the next year it's even bigger so it's like okay they definitely knew what they were doing <laughs> you know so I, I think it's, it's it's crazy man it's crazy to look back and like, see, see what you, what you guys did. Um, yeah, man. Thank you. No, Definitely yeah. didn't know what we were doing, but I'm glad that you thought we did. Yeah. I mean, we would never know, you know, like looking back, it's like, oh no, that was a chess move. Like they knew exactly what was going on. Like <laughs> they planned the rainstorm in 2014. Like they knew what was going on. Like, all that stuff on purpose. Yeah. And it's like, now you see, it's like, oh, something in the water is there. It's like, yo, like y'all did that way before, you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like Pharrell and his team, they could have did that a minute ago. And I've, they, they had to see Trelectro. Like, the team had to see it. And, like, yo, like, let's just, like, like do what they're doing. But we got more money, so. Yeah, but. I mean, I think that's the other thing, right? Like, there's there's so many things. Uh, I don't even know. There's there's Business is crazy. And that's what I mean about Cutthroat. Like, you know, if you're smart, you figure out the right partners to help scale your business. We were pretty headstrong about being independent, but ultimately, like, was that the right thing? I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of, like, pros and cons to each. But for me, I think it'd be really cool to, uh, you know, it would have been really, really, really cool to to explore another option. Like, if we had partnered with a live nation and scaled our shit and then traveled, you know, made the festival. Like, we could have been something in the water, you know, before something in the water. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, or found like, you know, if we could, if, if DC had a bigger music scene and, and more of a story there, then it could have been really cool to be a part of that. I mean, I think what we did, it's like when you're first, first is never the one that's going to make all the money. First is going to be the trailblazer, which is a cool place to be from like a history standpoint. When it comes to like making money, it's like rarely does that trailblazer be the, be the person that guaps up because someone figures out how to take what we did and do it better or, you know, or how to innovate. And I, and I really just wish we were more, we were smarter about how we moved because now it's like, we all, you know, we're in LA, we moved from DC. We've, you know, we're getting older. So we're a little further away from culture. And there's so many things that I still think we could do with our brand, but I don't know. That's, that's to be determined. Um, so after, after you guys had done Trelectro, um, you know, a few times and it became like an annual thing, how did you, 
um what was your next like career move after that like obviously like Chilectro had still been going on but but was that like your main thing at the time or did you have another job or were you kind of like like what were you doing like from uh for work so Chilectro kind of attracted the attention of folks at Nike who recommended that I apply for a gig there because I was kind of like you know it was three of us I was kind of in charge of marketing and kind of the creative and and stuff like that so I was I was advised to apply to a job in Oregon I was like no I don't want to move to Oregon I didn't know anything about it I didn't know anyone out there and then after three months of being broke I was like yo what's up with that job (laughs) so Eventually, I think I moved to Oregon December of 2013. So we had just done our second festival, and I had been applying and taking job interviews and been to Oregon twice or three times. Um, And I finally got a gig in December, and I moved like six days after I found out, just packed and moved um, because I was like, yo, I want to get more experience because, you know, I could be an entrepreneur and, you know, ride this out, or I can go work at a Nike and see how the sausage is made and figure out like, all right, how the fuck did these people figure out how to, you know, like, how did they instill such, like literally, I know you guys can't see this on the podcast, but I'm reading a, a book about Nike right now. I just finished Shoe Dog. Like, I'm really curious about how this brand was able to inspire so many people through, you know, being an athlete. If you have a body, you're an athlete. Like. It was it was really interesting working there because I learned so much about marketing and also just like running a company on a large scale, but just seeing like the effect of like an idea, how it can become, you know, it's it's a Nike campus, it's a global company, it's a cult, like, you know, it's it's different. And I think again, another big thing was me wanting to expand my horizons and my network. My my business partners, they moved to LA and I was like, I, I got a job offer working at uh, Warner Brothers Records, but I didn't want to work at a record label. Like, I, it wasn't exciting to me. So I wanted to go somewhere else because I knew that if we all went to L.A., then we'd all have a similar network. But if I were, but if I were to go to, um, you know, if I went to what's it called? <laughs> if I went to Oregon, then it'd be fired because I'd meet a whole new collective of people and I could spread the message about what we were doing there and you know I could just become more of an asset and that was that was my thinking you know it was like we're not giving up on Electro, but it's a and, and as I told my boss when I was getting hired like yo I have this thing in DC like I'm gonna save my vacation and and knock it out around that time but I will need to focus on that because I'm I'm not giving it up and he was like okay bet so, you know, I, I was able to make it work. Um, I was there till 2016. And um, we did a Trilectro every year. Only year we took off was 2017. And then we didn't do one in 2019. Um, and then the pandemic happened. So who knows when's next. But, you know, I, 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 my whole thing was like, I wanted to take my parents' advice and have a job so they couldn't tell me anything about that. But also still stay at a company that was like tapped into culture and also had me traveling a fair amount. So I leveraged that and every city I go to, I figure out a way to do something cool, you know, like connect with someone that I fuck with or, you know, I met Smino when I was working at Nike because, and I met a lot of artists 
because I worked at Nike. Because one, when you say you work at Nike, everyone wants to be your friend because they think you're the plug. And it opens up doors. Really, it was my homie. I would just, I traveled to so many different cities. Like, I was in Kentucky, um, and I would go to all the streetwear stores, and all the people there want to connect with the Nike guy. And I'd build my, you know, build my network with those types of folks and ask them to take me to, like, the local scene. So I would see a lot of the local music while on the road working for Nike because on my off days or at nighttime, I would venture into the city and connect with the people that I had met and get acquainted. So I knew about people like Jack Harlow before Jack Harlow blew. I knew about people like Flex Vino before he blew because I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, you know? Yeah. Um, can you, <clears throat> can you, can you speak a little bit about like what you think the biggest lesson you learned, not only at Nike, but I know you had a few, there were a few other, there have been a few other um, corporate companies that you've worked for. Like, can you speak on some of the bigger lessons that you've learned for yourself working there in those environments? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's, I think I'm, there's some people that only know how to work for other people. And that's a skill in itself. Like, I don't downplay that. Like to be able to say like, okay, bet I'm okay with giving, devoting my time and energy to someone else's vision and helping bring that to life. That's kind of fire, right? <laughs> like it's, it's just, it takes a certain mindset and it also takes a certain mindset to sit through certain meetings and communicate with a whole bunch of people. Every industry is different. I think Nike is very competitive because a lot of people are like athletes. And it's also just like very, like very smart individuals are there. So it's like you're in grad school because everyone's trying to like, it's, you know, a lot of ego and, and just that. And I think Red Bull was pretty similar. Um, you know, All Def was a free for all. And Epic was like a lot of people scared of, you know, like, I don't know. It was, it was cool. But I think what I learned from, from all of that was, just like, you know, you got to be true to yourself and figure out what you bring to the table. Everyone adds value in some way, shape or form, or it takes value away. And my thing is, I think I'm able to kind of be like, I can find a way to connect with someone quick. I can communicate with them pretty well. And I, I think I, I, I add like a certain type of like, I don't know, energy that a lot of places don't have, man. Like yeah. it's really hard to find someone that's, that's able to 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 be friendly with so many people there's a lot of clicks right a lot of people don't click hot but i'm like notorious for having a whole bunch of different circles because it's just what i enjoy like, i don't always want to be with the same type of people i want to learn what everyone's doing and i think that you know there's there's value everywhere right like you learn something everywhere you go every place i've ever worked whether it's been hauling junk for a hauling company or working at a, at a, you know, a big brand, like you learn something. And I think all those things can be applied in some way, shape or form to whatever you're doing. So I think I've learned something everywhere, but biggest lesson, I think is just, you know, be yourself and, and, and figure out what you add to the table and, and figure out a way to stand out. Like everywhere you go, you need to figure out a way so people can remember you, you know, like <clears throat> if you have a difficult last name to say, people may literally be like, oh, like, I don't even know that dude's, I don't even know how to say that, so it's whatever. But if you figure out a way to stand out and add value, like, you know, however you do it, it's basically personal branding. Figure out how to make yourself noticeable 
quickly so people can think of you as, you know, at Nike, I was a music guy because, you know, not everyone there is into music. So for me, it was like, Modi, what do you think about this? Or, hey, we need music for this ad. How can you help me? At Red Bull, I was working on the culture team, so hella people were into music. So it was like, all right, now what do I, now what, what's my value? Because yeah. there's a whole bunch of music people. You feel me? But then I was also one of the few black people. So then it was like, you're the black music kid. Got it. <laughs> and it's just, you know, like figuring out your niche and, and how to own it. Because if you do that, then you can, you're always valuable. People will always think of you for something. Um, and I think I just had a big network. So when it was like, hey, Modi, what do you think about this? Or how do we get to this person? It's like, oh, I know this person who went to school with this person. Or like, oh, yeah, I used to take my SAT class with this person. So it's like, literally, I would just connect the dots. And then you that was the value that I brought to the table is that I just had a big network. And people, people still hit me to this day. Someone hit me yesterday like, yo, can you help me get in, in touch with Thundercat? And it's just like, those are the kind of questions I get a fair amount. And, and my challenge to myself is like, can I do it? You feel me? I also pride myself of being quick on text. So like, if you hit me for some shit and I hit you back and I get you what you need, then you're going to hit me again when you need some shit. And then I build, that's, that's the value I bring is like, damn, if I hit Mo, he's going to hit me back with something. Even if it's like, I can't help, <clears throat> at least I know so I can adjust and pivot. Like those are the kind of things I, I found out working and just kind of, I'd say everywhere, not just corporate, but just anywhere is figure out how to add value and, and stand out. Cause if you do that, then you can literally, you're always in someone's mind. Yeah. Just working with people in general. I read 100%. that. I read this story about you when you were entering at Def Jam talking about you, you try to compete with yourself, just bringing them lunch as quickly as you could. And like, yeah, man, adding value and, and, ramble. and that just exactly. took me back to when, uh, Chris Isle and I went to Portland and I believe you sent him a, you sent Chris an email about places to eat. And it was the most detailed long list of <laughs> restaurants. And I was just looking at it. Like, I don't think I've ever got a recommendation list like this good in my life. It wasn't and, even like, it was, and it wasn't even just like a record, it, like every single restaurant had, had a, <laughs> had a description, two to three sentences. <laughs> and you had, you had like an intro paragraph that was like tailored to me. And then you had like a conclusion. I was like, bro, I, I like that, that. I got that like an hour. You were like, yo, uh, give me your email. I'm, I'm thinking yeah, about I, like, <laughs> like, you can text me or something like, but I'm like, all right. Like, and then an hour later I got this email. It's like, yo, like we couldn't even hit all those spots, bro. We only hit like, like, yeah, it's, but it was just like, I, I think the only, the only tough thing about that thing is it's too much. It's almost too much. It's like, if you're only there for a weekend, <laughs> I'd be like, yo, these are the three places that I do. Cause when I give you that much, it's like, I don't even want to use this list anymore. But shout out to my man, uh, VNL, one of my mentors. He actually started that list and I just started adding shit to it because I was like, this is genius. And it's so well done. And every year or, or a few months is a new restaurant in Portland. So by the time he had left, um, I was like, yo, there's hella people always going to Portland. Let me just keep this and start adding my, my touch and my favorite things. Because I didn't like all this shit that he liked. Even the strip clubs, I'd switch up and be like, yo, these, this is where I'm going to. You feel me? But I'm glad that you guys appreciated that. And again, like I said, I got it to you quick. And, you know, it was, it was a guide. Whether or not you used it, it's cool, but you'll never forget that that happened. Yeah, and that, again, is part of, like, branding. And I didn't even realize that was what I was doing until I was getting 
people say the things you just said. So then it's like, oh shit, okay, bet. Now I'm gonna make this my thing. It's like, you know, and now people think of me in Portland. I don't live in Portland, but people still think of me as as having like a you know a relationship with the city. So yeah. I got two gigs with Red Bull, um, f- you know, through my agency because they know that I was in Portland for a minute, and they know that I know that city and know people in that city. So again, there's so much value to your network, and I'm not a networker. I'm just a guy who likes to talk to people. So ultimately, like, I may stumble like. I've met all types of people in all different types of situations. Uh, and it's like, you know, I don't care if you're a celebrity or, you know, a civilian, it doesn't really matter. If you're a good person and there's a way to, to connect, um, I'm down. Like, that's why I follow 3000 plus people on social. Cause it's like, I'm not about to just trim it down to 121. Like I could be that person, but all these people are fucking good people. I don't care if their ratio is not solid. Like, fuck that. Fuck that. Back in 17, could never imagine embedding a bezel with BBS stones. Miami 11, I walked to the section like Malcolm in Middle, got three different holes. Pouring up like an alchemist, mix it up, get high, I skate my lows. Pouring up like an alchemist, mix it up, get high, I skate my lows. No, I can't never love a cop, they got my pops and it made me watch. So, bro, don't move with the mop, my clean of the block like he missed a spot. I wasn't worth a lot. Raise my stock yeah. She love how I came from the bottom She wanna get on top yeah. Blue flames coming out the exhaust yeah. Two twins but who the fuck cries yeah. Two men try to do too much She a demon of the angel dust yeah. Hard you go Barbie doll yeah. Ain't love with the shots I call yeah. Backseat of the double R car yeah. Give her breaks to the boulevard And these drugs gon' set me free For the look in the eye gon' set me apart It's me Oogie 16 It's a real triple threat you cannot guard Can't fear a man but I might fear God Got the whole world all in my palm Staying on the bands made me feel so tall Ain't had the band, I got what you want No, I can't never love a cop They got my pops and it made me watch Told bro don't move with the mop My clean of the block like he missed a spot I wasn't worth a lot I had to raise my stock She love how I came from the bottom She wanna get on top No, I can't never love a cop They got my pops and it made me watch Told bro don't move with the mop My clean of the block like he missed a spot I wasn't worth a lot Raise my stock. Yeah. She love how I came from the bottom. She wanna get on top. Back in 17, could never imagine embedding a bezel with BBS stones. Miami 11, I walked to the section like Malcolm in Middle, got three different holes. I wanna actually connect with real people because real people are the people that are gonna support you in the long run, but also we're gonna give you the real shit. You know, everyone else is a fraud, but I feel like ultimately for me, it's just about connecting the dots and figuring out like if I can help. Again, that's another value. Can I connect the dots? Can I bring you to this person? Can I, you know, like that's what I that's what I bring to the table. And it's not glamorous. It's not on Front Street. It's behind the scenes. Not everyone's gonna know that, but it's not about that. I just call it throwing a oop. You feel me? Like I'm a basketball guy. I like to throw the oop. And if you can catch the oop, I'm gonna keep on throwing you oops. If you can't catch it, I can't throw it to you anymore. <laughs> no, that's real. Um. I mean, just, just in like the, the little, the few stories you just told, like, I think it's, it's pretty clear that you kind of figured out how to operate, how to move in, in corporate settings. Um, I, I know that that's something you kind of said it earlier too, but just to be able to 
to follow someone else's vision essentially is, is something that does take talent. Do you think that uh, going to school at Sidwell and like being in that environment kind of prepared you for, for that corporate future? I think it's a great question. I think it prepared me for life in a bunch of ways and also didn't prepare me properly. So for those who don't know about Sidwell Friends, it's a Quaker school. Uh, when I was there, Chelsea Clinton was a senior when I was in, in elementary school. Obama's kids are there now. I'm pretty sure Al Gore Jr., when his kid got kicked out of St. Albans, he went to Sidwell. It's pretty much where the liberal, it's a, it's a liberal independent school. It's a Quaker school. So if you're not familiar with that religion, it's a sect of Christianity, which is like, you know, it's not like you're going to church and reading the Bible, but it's more like their whole thing is like everyone believes, everyone has the light in them. And we would do things like Quaker meeting on Thursdays, third period, where you'd sit in silence with the whole school for, for 45 minutes. And if you felt moved to speak on whatever was on your mind, whether it's current events or something going on in school or your life, uh, you you do so. But it was like, you know, it's also one of the top schools in the country, probably the world. So you're having people, you know, compare the tarp on the ground in the gym to their senior year. You know, like the, the kind of like deep metaphoric type of like shit that you're going to hear is is nuts. So I was just around really smart people. And I don't think I was necessarily smart but i think if you're around smart people then you catch up and yep. civil is a very expensive school my parents work at the, at the world bank and one of the perks of the world bank is they'll pay for your tuition if you come from out of the country so there was a fair amount of world bank kids at school that i connected with um and again it was like you have a whole bunch of different people you'd have all races you'd have you know a lot of wealthy people but also people that weren't so wealthy. and you know i think um you know, my best, my, 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 my man, Andy, who I mentioned earlier, his dad, Japanese, he um, was also a World Bank kid. So, you know, we, I don't know, we, we, we were in a setting that was like, it's liberal. So it's not like your typical private school that you'd see on TV with uniforms and like preppy, like it wasn't that. It was super liberal, super open-minded. I mean, we had Quaker meeting for heaven's sake. Like the things that were going on on that campus were a little different, but it was also kind of a bubble. I didn't get to see like a lot of raw, real shit. Like the first time I ever saw a, a drug addict um, was when I used to pick one of my soccer, when I play soccer, used to pick one of um, one of my, my, my teammates up and his mom was addicted to drugs, but I didn't know that as a kid because I'd never seen or witnessed that. I didn't know what that was about. I didn't know about a lot of shit because I was in a small private school that was pretty sheltered. And obviously high school for everyone is pretty intense, but like, you know, I had friends going to parties that were getting shot up and that wasn't really happening where I was at, you know? So I, I say that to say like my upbringing was, you know, middle-class, very great. I, I had everything. And I think, you know, Sidwell prepared me for just, I guess how to, I was buttoned up. Like when I went to school, I was ready for college. Like I was prepared. Educationally, I was prepared. Even if I thought that I wasn't on point, like when I was at Sidwell, when I left, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm beyond prepared. Like, you know, if I didn't do well in class, it was because I literally didn't go to class. But yeah. academically, I was up to par with 
with, you know, where I was supposed to be and, and beyond, you know, especially in writing. We were like, our, our writing was so advanced that um, we didn't have an AP class for writing, but I took the AP exam and I did well, yeah. you know? That's crazy. So I think so. I mean, but I don't think, I think more of my curious nature and ability to find common ground. Yeah. Um, maybe that was influenced by Sidwell, but I think it was influenced by everything. Cause when you play AAU basketball with a whole bunch of kids that are not from the same world you're from, you know, you have to figure <laughs> out like, you gotta, you gotta figure out how to hoop cause they'll clown you if you can't hoop. You feel me? So Find that's where you're going to have common ground. That's going to be the, that's going to be the, the equalizers. Like, can you hoop? Yeah. At the end Rich, of- poor, <laughs> black, white. Can you hoop? You feel me? Yeah. At, at the beginning of your answer, you said that in some ways you feel like it didn't prepare you for certain things. What would one of those things be? Um, I think just the real world, like the, the, the just, you know, you're in a bubble. A hundred percent of people get in this to college at Sidwell. Everyone that goes to Sidwell will get an offer from a college. Yeah. Everyone. There's not anyone that's, you, you're not, I'm not having, I don't see, I, don't, I didn't know dropouts because there were no dropouts in my school. Everyone, and I'm not saying everyone went to college because some people didn't go to college for whatever reason, but everyone got accepted to a school and it was a good school. I'd say about 20% of kids went to Ivy Leagues. So you're literally around the different type. It's like a upper echelon. Like I was going to basketball to Wizards games and Bullets games and I didn't realize it, but I was sitting in the first section and that's all I, that's all I knew because that's what my friend's parents had. They had season tickets in section 104 type shit. It wasn't nosebleed. It was 104 and it wasn't courtside, but it was 104. <laughs> so if you see that, you know, that that's the life that you know, then that's the life that you know. Yeah. So when you get to the real world and realize like, Oh my God, like, I just want to go to this Lakers game, but like the nosebleeds are, are hidden for more than I can afford right now. Like maybe maybe the, the Clippers are my team. <laughs> Yo, trust me, I've been in more Clippers game than Lakers game for sure. And that's the kind of shit that I think you know. Like it was good because you understand what the what the upper echelon looks like. So my drive is probably in a different place compared to a lot of other people yeah. because I know what it looks like at the top. Like I've seen it. I've been in the mansions. I understand that it takes a certain thing. Um, but I, I mean, you know, th- there's, there's definitely some, some cons or downfalls from living that life and seeing that shit that I, I think I'm still figuring out. But yeah. ultimately, I'm very happy with, you know, my upbringing and my experience at Sidwell and even BC. I mean, I wouldn't change anything. Um. So, I mean, kind of, kind of jumping off of that question, like you said that you were, you did feel prepared to, to kind of make that move into the corporate world. Um, but there were a, kind of a few things that Marcus kind of called out that you didn't feel necessarily prepared for. Um, in a work setting, were there ever moments where you felt like you didn't necessarily belong in the room? And to kind of, to kind of explain that, like, were there ever moments where you kind of felt like not necessarily overwhelmed, but just like you kind of questioned, like, I am not sure if I'm supposed to be in this meeting right now. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. I think it's, you know, uh, 
I think one thing I realized I did learn from confident, even if they're not smarter than you, they're confident enough to know that they're confident. Like one of my homies told me, Rodney, the other day, I was just talking about like the shit I want to do. He's like, bro, I've always believed in you. But the one thing I tell people that is like, you don't believe in yourself sometimes. And it, I think a lot of people in corporate settings are good at just fronting it. The front or just like believing in themselves. So their confidence speaks and you, you know, it's like, feel like fear is contagious like once you show someone that you don't really know what's going on then they're like oh you don't really know what's going on you know and for me i didn't really know how to put that front on or even like just be more be confident in myself because i i know the truth i don't know all the answers i went from no job to working at nike i went from getting laid off to working at nike at headquarters where some of the smartest people i've ever seen in my life are running meetings and asking me questions and I didn't even really know corporate procedure because I'd only had one job before that and it was trash. So ultimately, there's plenty of times I felt like I didn't belong. Um, and what I realized is, again, I didn't figure out what I brought to the table. And what, I, what, what you know, Evan Steinberg, one of my first bosses, was always someone that saw, he saw the light in me. Um, he understood what I could bring to the table. And he would always tell me to lean on those type of things. So that, you know, like I started to say, oh, bet. Like I didn't realize, you know, being a music guy, even if, you know, you could be okay at everything else, but if you have a strong, if you, if you can own something and also just have a strong, unique point of view, then you become valuable because you're, you're basically your opinion matters to, to people and you can learn the rest of the shit. The rest of the shit is just repetition being there long enough, but it's really about, you know, do you have a unique perspective? And why, you know, what do you bring to the table? So I, I hope that answers the question. No, 100%, 100%. Um, I guess kind of my last, my last question when it comes to like, not even just corporate settings, but I guess things that you've learned about yourself. Um, would you say that you are more motivated to, to succeed by the fear of failure or by the joy of accomplishment? I mean, I've taken so many L's. I feel like I don't want to take any more, but I don't know. I think they're both valuable, you know, like a win is cool, but like, you know, I remember after, after, you know, after these Trelectros, again, you're worried about the next one. So like a win just makes you know you're on the right track. A loss is a learning and I call it the L. So it can be either one, depending on how you want to take it. But for me, it's like, Losses can hurt. Wins can hurt too. Um, I don't. Know. I think they both valuable. I don't think I'd take one over the other. I think you need both. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so kind of moving moving closer to um, I guess what you're doing now. Um, what would you say has been the toughest part? Well, I guess before we get into that, um, can you can you just speak a little bit about heating up and like what that is? For sure, man. Heating up is basically this agency I started. Um, and agency is a loose term because I don't know what else to call it. But basically, um, like I said, I have this network in these, I've lived in DC, New York, Boston, Portland, and now LA. And I've got all these relationships in these cities um, and people that touch culture, entertainment, um, lifestyle. So I just, you know, I basically created something where I can. I can provide 
service, even if it's like, okay, you need people to come to an event, like hit me up. I got the email contacts. I can bring people to your branded event. I did that for the Insecure Block Party and Festival. I did that for, you know, Dave Chappelle had a screening of his his first Netflix specials. Um, just a whole bunch of brands have hit me to bring people. And I have a specific network. I like to pride myself on kind of like that people of color world, right? Like, or people that are just tapped into the culture, which is not necessarily people of color, but you know, like if you're trying to reach a certain demo that I have my hands on, then I can help. And that's like one aspect of it. But the other aspect is like, I want to start creating products, right? Like I know that No Plastic did a collaboration with RCP Gallery. And to me, that shit was fucking flames. When I saw it, I was like, oh my God, that's tight. I didn't even know it hit because you know, sometimes you'd be trying to scare yourself from, from copying anything. You feel me? Um, but, but no, that shit was fire. And to me, like, that's the kind of stuff. Like, I grew up in Commonwealth. That's why I met so many of my friends. It's like being at Commonwealth, looking at shoes and, and product and trying to figure out, like, you know, what am I going to cop? What am, how am I going to dress today? Like, what's going to, how am I going to express myself? So, to me, like, I want to figure out a way to collaborate with people, like-minded individuals. You don't need to have a huge following, but I think it's important to kind of find, like, a way, you know, like, when I see, like, the Dior Jordan, it's like, you see the Jordan, but you also see Dior. How do I, how can I do that with, you know, other entities like myself? And we don't have to be the same. Like, if I were to collaborate with Joe Freshgoods in Chicago, like, there's some kind of, he's really good at storytelling. I would just figure out a way to figure out like what's the product that speaks to me and him and how can we both tell our stories in that? I want to do my own stuff too, but I basically want to start creating like product home goods. Like I have a <clears throat> ashtray I got from RCP gallery right here. And <clears throat> I want to start figuring out how to make stuff that like people need to use because I ultimately think that there's a way that I can, you know, brand and convey like this story the brand is basically an extension of myself, right? Like I want to be able to motivate people and be an inspiration and want to heating up. The concept is basically like, you know, an NBA jam, you hit two jumpers, you're heating up one more jumper and you're on fire. <laughs> and my whole thing was like, and I, you know, it's basically like, I'm a not, you know, I'm, I'm born in 86, grew up on that shit. Nostalgia is my shit. Um, worked in Nike basketball, working culture, lifestyle, entertainment i feel like all my experiences combined and you know meaning life not just corporate are is basically heating up so i built a company that speaks to that and i want to figure out a way to kind of like create stuff to also speak to that so like if i make merch can i make some cool 80s 90s inspired like you know basketball shit and can that evolve into all types of shit can that evolve, evolve into like UV activated teas and products? Can I start making fucking grills? Can I start making, and I mean like, you know, like a George Foreman or like an old school, like, you know, grill. Can I collaborate with, you know, Bic and make a special lighter? Like anything that's like in that realm. And I have a lot of ideas, but it's just about being smart and thinking through what makes sense. But ultimately I want to create products and that's what, you know, heating up is going to be known for. But we're also also an agency 
on the back end. So like, if you want to hire us for some shit, whether it's, you know, consulting work, whether it's promo work, marketing work, we'll do that too. And that is really, to me, it's a way to continue to stay connected because once you get a corporate gig, it's tough to, to, you know, mix and mingle and you kind of lose touch because you're focused on, you know, whatever job you, you, you signed up to do. But through heating up, I'm still able to connect with all the creative people that I've met and figure out ways to work with them. So it's kind of like an outlet. It's a passion project. But like it made me, you know, it made me money before. The last two years, it's been like a thing, like a supplementary income. So to me, I just want to figure out how to continue to scale that, how to work with cool people. Like to me, you know, y'all are doing the same shit essentially like you're creating community and i think just like i look at create time run club or love hour or anybody that's doing anything like creating community and it's first you got to build the community and then once you build the community you know then you can start to sell them shit because they've bought into what you've created and i'm trying to do that at the same time providing a service so i don't know it's kind of all over the place but i'm i'm still fine-tuning it and soon i think i'll have that elevator pitch and true it'll be like crystal clear what we bring to the table what our niches all that that sounds good i think that's like like right in the realm of kind of where i see you going um just like looking back at like everything that you've put on before and then some of the stuff you've been putting on more recently i think that 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 makes sense so um good luck man i i think um, I can definitely you. being like a lot of, a lot of what you said and a lot more, you know, so I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, where that ends up. Um, another question I had, um, on the window seat podcast, um, you spoke about how you and your team let passion lead what you guys do. Um, can you speak on why you think that that's important? Yeah, I think I touched on it a bit before, but kind of like if you think too much about shit, if you're thinking about like the analytics and the data and stuff like that, I feel like you may miss your mark. But if you're passionate, like, you know, the passionate person, no one's going to forget the passionate person. The passion is what drives people. So if you focus on what you actually like instead of trying to like, I think it's a combination, right? Like, Passion should lead, but then you should also figure out like, all right, what's going on in the space and where can we fit in so it's smart? You know, like that's, I don't know. I hope that answers the question, but I feel like passion is just, you know, what's burning inside you. And if you're excited about the shit, you're going to go do the shit. I was excited about Trilectro, so we created Trilectro. And by any means, I was going to make it happen. I was doing everything, interviews, wheat pasting, hiring interns, like, you know, dropping off uh infrastructure um finding the artists like the the visual artists that would be painting on site uh you know doing hand-to-hand ticket sales with people that you know maybe maybe didn't have didn't want to put their credit card information online but had cash like you know figuring out ways to make this work you just start to do it if you're passionate by any means you'll do it if you're not passionate you just you know you'll be complacent and i feel like that's why I think it's dope if you're able to find passion and working for someone else because that's fire to me. 
it's it's hard. I have to really be aligned with the vision of wherever I'm at and the leaders there to to be passionate about it. You know. Um, no, yeah, definitely, definitely good answer. Um, so I guess looking towards the future now, um, knowing that you, you've spoken on like wanting to move into like the film TV space, um, you know, when you were, you you did the, you did the crazy research. You guys are good. Yo, we, yo, we had to, cause I I listened to like one of your podcasts, like, like one of the recent ones. I remember talking to you about it at RSGP, but I didn't know that you had like, four, five, six interviews, I'm like, oh, damn, like, now nah, we got to, we, we got to do our research for sure, because we probably would have asked more than they did. <laughs> no, this is fire. I appreciate <laughs> Thank it. You. Um, but no, yeah, uh, knowing, knowing that you've, like, spoken on wanting to move into, like, the film TV space, um, just through your experiences on the Sony lot, um, what would you say is your dream job, um, and if you can be as specific as possible? I think a dream job would be something that combined music and TV slash film. Um, You know, I like the big creative marketing ideas, right? Like when I see a a crazy marketing campaign, I'm like, yo, that's fire. It made me, it caught my attention and it made me tap in. Like I remember when, what's that show? That's kind of like a parody of reality show where, uh, fuck, it's on Netflix. One one joint was about a dude that drew drew like dick paintings on oh, yo. stuff. Uh, American Vandal. Yes, starts with a V. Vandal. So <laughs> yeah. I was driving back from from work once one day at Red Bull, and I saw um, a car with a giant dick on it, <laughs> and it blew my mind. So I, I remember like I I put it on on Instagram story, and people were like, "Oh my god, that's crazy." But I didn't realize that I was now marketing for this show. Yeah. And after I found that out, I was like, oh, my God, these guys are good. Like, how the fuck did they do that? Because it looked like a regular ass car with a dick on it. It looked like they just got got. And I was like, oh, these guys got got. And really, I got got. And I was like, (laughs) you guys are good. So for me, it's like, you know, Netflix went up doing that. And, you know, I think like I have Netflix on right now. I'm. I, I enjoy what they're doing and I'm trying to figure out who else is going to figure out how to like, you know, find, uh, find the, you know, figure out this space. Um, I wish there was a way to combine music and, and TV, but I feel like people like Will Smith, right. He has a company called Westbrook. Um, that basically is like all the Smith's entities, music, TV, you know, Will has, all these IP he's got Will at home on Snapchat. Now he's got the bucket list on Facebook. He's got red table talk. Jada has red table talk with her daughter and her mom. Like they have all this shit going on. Jaden makes music. So it's like, what, what if I was able to work with those guys and do some crazy shit where I'm literally touching music, TV, film. They also work with a whole bunch of other clients too. So it's like, it wouldn't just be the Smiths. It'd be whoever, they, you know, they, they become um, whoever wants to hire them. And, you know, Will Smith is one of the most, I'm still watching Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince is what? Almost 30 years old. Yeah. I'm still watching Fresh Prince. So that man's a savage. He's got Grammys. He's got, does he have an Oscar? I don't know if he has an Oscar yet, but like 
he's a beast. And to, to work, you know, under someone like that, especially a black man who's made it so far in the industry, like that'd be fire. I would love to work. Like I picked working at Epic because I wanted to work for Sylvia Rome, black CEO chairman. Um, I think she's the only one. Yeah. Um, and to me, that was like, you know, really important to me to, to work for someone who's, who's gone through so much to get to where she is. And it's kind of the same um, for whatever I do next. Like, I want to make sure I work for someone who I believe in their vision and, um, you know, who, who was trying to leave a mark. And I feel like Will is trying to leave a mark with what he did, you know? So I don't know. I think it'd be some kind of combination where I can do all that stuff and still be creative and let, and like bring my creative friends to the table so they can get busy and, and work and I can collaborate with them um, while still doing the shit I do on the side. That's kind of what I would love to do. And ultimately, you know, an executive company would be cool. Maybe heating up grows and becomes so big that I, I can survive off of that. Like, I don't know, but, you know, I'm only 33, so I feel like there's a lot more time to figure shit out. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and then the the last, I mean, real question that I have, um, what do you, I know you, I know the, all this pandemic stuff is kind of like, fucked up the plans for Trelectro this year. Um, but what what do you guys have planned for the future? Anything that you can share? Nothing that we can share. But I feel like, you know, I've been talking <clears throat> to one of my partners about a few ideas that I think are timely and that make sense for us. Um, I think it's just about figuring out how to find the people to help us bring it to life. But I don't know. I think there's a lot that can still be done with that property. Um, even though we haven't had a festival since 2018, um, you know, it's still something that people respect and remember. And it's always interesting and, and kind of like, you know, inspiring to know that we've inspired people and people tag us and shit. It's like, damn, like, again, you forget about the shit that you did because you worried about the future, but you, you know, the things that you've done have left a mark and you can't take that for granted. So I don't know, but I think there's so much potential there and hopefully one of these days we can figure out exactly how we can take it to that, to that full potential. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, do you guys, are there any other, other questions? Yeah, I think that's it for me, man. Just thanks for, thanks for, for talking, man. It's, it's been a minute. What's, how long is this episode? Like an hour and a half? Yeah. Like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, like, we, thanks, uh, thanks for thanks for giving us your time for real. Cause I know I feel like you're always like super busy and stuff. So definitely appreciate man. it. I just think it's cool this to to connect with all you guys and I fuck with what you guys have got going on. I wish I feel like every time there's a no plastic event, I'm either DJing or doing something. So times like this where I literally have all the time in the world, it's like finally let me kind of do the shit that I would love to do. So this is great. Um, thank you guys for, for inviting me and talking to me and helping me remember that I've done some cool shit, you know? We didn't even get to the half of it. <laughs> Yo, Everybody I'm, who's listening, I'm, go go search this man. There's a lot of stuff that he has broken. And, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely thank you, like Chris said, for the time. Um, I mean, I guess it goes without saying, but like, I'm definitely like, like I said, looking forward to, to seeing you continue to grow and continue to um, kind of just leave your mark on like on everything. Um, 
yeah, man, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to hear about heating up moving forward. So I guess we'll see what happens with that. Um, but before yeah. we kind of sign off, um, is there anything that you want to like put people onto? Anything like uh, any shows you've been really fucking with? Like any any books that you've read that you want people to get into? Like anything? Um, <clears throat> last book I read was by Phil Knight, founder of Nike, called Shoe Dog. Um, I have a lot of books. I I don't read them all. I just look at them and say I have the book. But this time I'm trying to read a lot of the books. One book that I revisited from my past recently is called The Phantom Tollbooth. It's like a, a book I read in like fifth grade, but it's fire. I think it's about uh, a kid with a crazy imagination and like two different worlds. One world that's ruled by numbers, another one that's ruled by by letters or words. And each of them think that they're superior and just that whole struggle concept. It's, it's, you know, pretty clever kids yeah. novel. Um, and TV movies. Hmm. Uh, what am I? I started watching this movie called get on the bus by Spike Lee. I believe it's about some guys going from LA to DC to the million man March. Um, and just like all the different personalities on the bus and that whole process. Pretty interesting, not done with it, but so far so good. Um, like I said, watching Hella Fresh Prince. And man, I've watched so much stuff. Uh, I even started watching 90 Day Fiance. I wouldn't recommend that, but it's good to have. It's good to have in the background if you're just doing like busy work. Yeah. Um, the, oh, Devs. I watched Devs on uh, Hulu. Devs is, is fire. It's about uh, a developer and in Silicon Valley, he was working on some top secret project and some crazy shit happens and just that whole, you know, that whole thing. I like it because it's a, it's a limited series. So like the night of on HBO, I was just um, like that kind of shit. Like it's done after one, one season it's done because like sometimes you don't got to keep on going, you know? Yeah. True. So that's what I'm on, and there's plenty of shit. I, I, if you follow me on social, I'll probably post the stuff I'm listening to and consuming um, every every once in a while. So feel free to do that. Cool, Michelle, and uh, let the people know your uh, your handle too for socials. Handle is Supermodi, S U P E R M O D I, um, on Instagram. I'm not really on Twitter anymore. I just started the new account, but it's the same over there. And yep. that's me. If if it's not that, it's DC to BC. But I don't think anything's DC to BC anymore. I think everything's super moody. So find me. I'm on there. I'm friendly. If you have questions, hit me. If you don't, you know, that's cool too. Michelle, <laughs> <laughs> sure. yeah, bro. Appreciate you. Yep. Yeah, thank you guys. Congrats on what you guys have going on. Um, you know, I, I, fu I fuck with it. And thank you guys for having me. This is dope. Cool. Hey, thank you. Oh. Peace, peace, peace. Peace, peace.